Greetings, Wargamers. We're your hosts, Trevor, Jay, Josh, and this is Shane Attack. Attack. is sponsored by Discount Games Incorporated. Discount Games Incorporated specializes in customer service, low prices, and prompt shipping. You can find our web store at www.discountgamesinc.com. Welcome to Chain Attack. I'm your host, Trevor, and I am trying to put together a campaign of Twilight 2000, uh, 4th edition. I'm Jay, and there's like, I think now four of the five books of The Enemy Within have released, and there's like this part of me that uh, fools myself that I will uh, get a group (laughs) together to play that. (laughs) Uh, and I'm Josh, and when you say campaign, Trevor, it only means one thing to me now. <laughs> no, it's not a political campaign. <laughs> in, in in this world, political politics have, have broken down. Yeah. Oh, in, in Twilight 2000? Correct. Well, no, in both. Wait, did <laughs> yeah, we almost edition. play third edition, like 10 years ago or something like that? Um, We did play it, actually. Yeah, okay. I was just—I couldn't believe I'd lost track of the edition. That makes sense. Yeah, fourth edition came out um, last fall, I think, or maybe last last spring, like a year ago, last spring. Um, so it's 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 a new version done by Free League Publishing. Uh, it's quite good. The previous edition, which was actually labeled Twilight 2013. Um, we attempted to play for a little bit, and, and we did play a couple of games of it. I, I, I forgive you for not remembering because it wasn't very memorable, um, to yeah. be fair. Um, it, it was not a good version. Um, and one of the things that drove a lot of the Twilight 2000 purists, I guess, for lack of a better term, crazy was the changes they made to the timeline. So, um, you know, in... in the first edition and second edition, the the timeline was, you know, it was they were published in the mid to late eighties. The so, timeline was the Red Dawn timeline, right? Yeah, it was. It was, you know, food food breaks down, p- people can't get fed. There's people go to war in in Eastern Europe. Um, you know, by 1995, by 1998, there's a there is a full blown hot war, um, and then around the year 2000. Um, the nukes start flying, um, and then um, the game takes place post 2000, and and you know they basically say, hey, we can no longer support you. You're on your own, and war is completely broke down. It's just random people uh, trying to find their way through the world. Well, in Twilight 2013, they kind of just like they they threw out all that because they wanted to because we were at that point we were past the year 2000 they threw all that out and they tried to create a new believable timeline where the united states and russia go to war and while that's much more believable today in yeah. two, in 2010 when the game released or around that time period it wasn't very believable 
Um, and they didn't do a very good job. Like the original game publishers from first and second edition, they, they knew their geopolitical stuff. Um, you know, they, they're, everything that they wrote in the book felt somewhat believable. I mean, certainly it was a little bit, you know, out there, but it wasn't like, it wasn't totally unbelievable. And so it was this really interesting geopolitical maneuvers that caused this war. And it made a great backstory of how this all happened. Well, twenty thirteen one of its biggest faux pas and not its only um, was just kind of having this really odd history. Um, fourth edition basically said, you know what? We're not going to try to do that. We're going to call this the history that never was. And we're just going to go back to the original timeline. And they've certainly rewrote it and made some changes from the originals, but it's, it's, it's mostly back to being somewhat believable hot war between the, 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 the Berlin wall that never falls and it escalates to a hot war in the late nineties and nukes start flying. So, and the, 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 another thing in its hat is that the game mechanics aren't awful. Like they were in 2013. So, well, there you go. That, you know what talking about that does remind me of, wasn't that the same era where Jay DM'd a legends of the five rings game for you and I, Trevor, and we immortalized ourselves with the Jade strike on the emperor. <laughs> um that the jade strike on the emperor happened before we played 2013 okay. but but yeah i mean it was, it was i think we were right when, when did you move out of your your house um uh let's see we would have moved out in 2013-ish i think yeah i was pretty sure that it, the 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 players for that game were you um wade um dave and myself um it was uh, just the four of us i think Okay. And and yeah, I'm pretty sure we played it in your game room and I think we only got mm, two games in before before we before it collapsed for whatever reason. Yeah. That sounds about right for any RPG for me. <laughs> I feel like I, I think I've never played more than two sessions of any RPG. I got I got pushed into running this one. So my my high school D&D group we play about once a month over Zoom, essentially. Uh, it's actually okay. over, over Discord, I think. Anyway, we uh, one of the members of the group has a daughter who's, you know, in high school now, and she um, is like collegiate level softball player. Like she's really okay. good. Okay. Um, and and so she's on like all of the the traveling teams that go all over the country to compete and she's, you know, on multiple teams. And so like this time, May, June, uh, July is like, he's gone to tournaments every weekend. So basically my group is like, well, we'd like to still meet. How about you run Twilight 2000? And I'm like, um, <laughs> I don't really want to. They're like, great. Uh, we'll, we'll meet next month. <laughs> Trevor's just a girl who can't say no. <laughs> so for Discount Games, Inc., the big exciting new thing is the new Horse Heresy game that pre-sales go live basically when, when this podcast goes live. And it's a new game from them that's that's set back in the Horse Heresy era. So, so that's like 30k, right? Yeah, I think it's 35k. Sure. Okay. Okay. I I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, but it has some pretty cool looking models. Um, the big box sets now. Uh, 
I know this will come as a surprise, but inflation has come to Games Workshop, <laughs> and <laughs> the uh, the new price is basically three hundred bucks for one of their big box sets. So, so, so this box set is three hundred bucks. Yeah. Oh, um, like, what's I mean, up? This is, it looks amazing. I think that's yeah. still less than what I paid for um, Return to Dark Tower Kickstarter edition. But yeah, but I'll, I'll actually play that. Oh shoot, <laughs> we're we're outside the paywall, aren't we? I hope, hopefully, Laramie's not with this part. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're safe, Josh. Yeah, I think you're probably safe. I, this looks amazing. I mean, I I don't want to say that it would give you back into Warhammer because I've been out for 25 years or whatever. Um, but this this but it's the has, kind of game that would have gotten young Trevor into it, right? Yes, it definitely would have. All right. Well, Josh is going to talk this week about games he played at Board Game Geek Con. Uh, before uh, we do, Trevor and I started a legacy game with my brother. What did you start? Vampire the Masquerade Heritage. Oh, cool. Okay. I have played one game of that. My dad owns Oh, interesting. Oh, he does. I did he kickstart so. it? He kickstarted it on my recommendation because, frankly, I'm a terrible influence. Like, don't ever look me on game recommendation. <laughs> We're about to for you know the next thirty minutes. But, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So, how many plays have you guys gotten? So that's the thing is, we didn't have the legacy. Like, we just played like a one-off game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To kind of learn the mechanic. Uh, and which what did we, you th- we probably what did should you have done think that. of the one-off? Yeah, we probably should have. I agree. Well, I think that it needs the legacy elements. It, it, I mean, it, it's a competent game. That's how I would describe it, having played it the one time, right? The Yeah, it's competent. I mean, the, the thing is, the atmosphere, the art, like production is really, I thought, really good. I enjoyed that. And I, I'm a sucker for Vampire the Masquerade stuff. I mean, as evidenced by the giant coffin at my house called blood feud or whatever vampire the masquerade blood uh-huh. feud. oh i yeah. forgot you got that we need to why are yeah, we not we got, scheduling scheduling got, that game well time out. antiquity is the right initial play we need okay. to we do okay. need to get another okay. antiquity game like okay 100%. and then I, we do we have we, we have to do a targeted vampire the masquerade blood feud con i just think that's what you have to do like you know it's it's the one that plays like 20 people or something 32 32 yes Uh, we need 32 people (laughs) submit your resumes to (laughs) yeah i'm not saying that will definitely happen and i think it should happen this year before i'm sworn in as a as a Uh, a idaho representative so um we jay and kelly his brother both participated in a second edition vampire campaign that i ran i don't remember how many years ago a long time ago so oh, yeah like we years all ago, I swear uh, not quite that long but it does feel that long um so we were all familiar with you know the the most of the core clans and and kind of the core themes of vampire um and and i would agree with you josh that the game needs the legacy elements to to stand it it feels like the core elements are quite and i actually think this is a good thing the core elements of the game are simple and it's it's a competent game but it would never hit it big with the greater board game community on its own right um uh, but i think the legacy elements uh, add a significant amount and um and we've only played one game but i can tell just from watching gameplay of the base game that 
it's it's kind of okay, but the legacy elements at least add some some different aspects to the game that I think make it more more interesting. Yeah, there's and, some deeper thought to happen there. You know what I mean? Yes, and some long-term strategy that's involved that is really not involved in the first game, the base game. So, I don't know. How did you feel about it, Jay? Um, I enjoyed it. It it had kind of the... Uh, the, there were quite a few moments of, oh, if I had, had known that it worked like that, uh, <laughs> I would have done this completely differently. But, I mean, that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what our additional plays are like. Um, it's interesting that it's... Uh, I'm, I'm used to most Legacy games being around 10 to 12 plays, and this one does 21. Um but I think that once we know how to play the game, it's going to be fairly easy for us to do. Faster, right? Yeah, I think we'll be able yeah. to do two a night with fairly easily. Yeah, our, our first game was quite slow, but I think we were all just trying to figure out how the mechanics worked. And, and the the interesting thing is is that the there's some legacy victory points that go into the greater game, and the very and by design, the very first game, the victory points were spread as such. Two for first place, one for second place, one for third place. <laughs> so there's literally a one point difference between all of us um, after the first game. So I, I think they kind of knew that you would have to get your legs under you first to figure out how the game plays. And they sort of didn't give anybody a big advantage for winning the first game. Um, the, the the subsequent games, the victory points go up significantly. So um in fact, the second game is an, again, it's more victory points than the first, but but not very many. And then the third game, all of a sudden, it ramps up. And I'm assuming all the games after that are going to have, you know, a much higher ratio of victory points for winner versus the last place. So, but there's um, there's also some catch up mechanics built in that, like, you know, they penalize the winner and they give the uh, person in last place a bonus. So. Um, yeah, I should have. I was a fool for not getting. I got middle place that had yeah that gets nothing that gets nothing. I mean, I guess it's better than uh, getting the penalty, but uh, Kelly and I got the the same victory points, but he got a a sweet bonus that I don't get now. <laughs> it's bullcrap. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we'll see. I, we'll talk about it some more, but I I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to get really interesting once we start getting enough legacy elements in there that you start seeing. Yeah some of the characters come up every game. There's enough vampires in the deck that right now, um, you know, we're adding, we added probably just one new vampire to the deck or two um, or whatever. I mean, there's just, there's not enough to, I think it's going to take a few plays before we start seeing some of the legacy elements come into play. Mm -hmm. All right, Josh. So you went to Dallas for board game geek con. Uh, tell us about your board gaming experiences. I will do so. And to be fair, I mean, really, all I did was go to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. That's my favorite part about, that's my favorite part about the board game geek cons. It's like you get out of the airplane, you walk over to the con, and boom, you're there. We, we, uh, my family and I, we really came off this country ribs when we first got there, too, because, um, sorry, we, uh, you know, we get out of the airport, we get our, go to bag check, we get our bags, right, and and I pull up on the map and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, the hotel's right there. Like, just walk over to it. But we didn't, we missed the sky bridge where you could walk across the parking garage. So we're like, uh, 
we're like walking down through the landscaping, like, you know, weaving through traffic with our suitcase. <laughs> we Brilliant. made it safely. Yeah, it was fine. So we actually arrived on Thursday. The con didn't start till Friday. I had partly done that because we weren't going to stay through Monday. Monday was Memorial Day. We we needed to be back home for Memorial Day. So we were going to be leaving Sunday. Anyway, so we, we went Thursday. So we were there essentially half a day early, right? But don't worry, we had packed an appropriate amount of games to be able to still play, uh. you know, before the con was fully set up. So that that first day, I'll, I'll, I want to briefly mention probably my favorite game that we played that day um, was a game by AEG called Dead Reckoning. And my brother had pitched this to me as a, a pirate Zaya game. He needs to work on his pitch. It, it, it doesn't stand up to Zaya, okay? But what this is, is it there? It does have a lot of customizing in the game. So first of all, you're, you'll upgrade your pirate ship throughout the game, right? Like with more cannons or more sails or more cargo space, right? And then your crew, which is a deck of, I think it's a deck of 12 cards. It uses the card crafting where you're sleeving in new elements to the to the cards throughout the game, right? So so you go through that crew deck several, quite a few times in the game, right? And you know, by by the end of the game, you're pulling up your level four cabin bay, right? And he's got all these additional abilities that you've sleeved into them. So it was quite fun. It was good. The other the other unique thing it has is the way it does battle is a uh, I guess you, I guess I would call it a cube tower, like you know, like they have in like Wallenstein or, or Shogun, right? But the cube tower spits cubes out onto this um, board that. Like, depending on where the cubes land, it, it determines what the cubes do, right? Whether it be damage or additional plunder or uh, crowns, which say basically who wins the the battle, right? So by the end of the game, I was, I mean, I was tearing across the ship, I, I, across the board, just murdering my fellow players and any merchant ship that even dared to show its head. And, and in this game, at least, that, that worked. Uh, I won. So... Uh, quite good. I think it's a pretty hefty package. I mean, it's uh, like I said, it, you know, the, the the cube tower is actually a ship like it looks like a pirate ship and you drop cubes in the top of it. And like I said, it spits them out into the combat board to to give you combat. And and I'm sure this was a big Kickstarter because I feel like AED does quite a few Kickstarters. Right. So, so I I saw this when it when it I don't know if I saw it after it came out, but I'm I was super interested in it. Um yeah, I, I think you would like it quite a bit. I definitely want. Uh, I would. I definitely would welcome another play of it. You know what I mean? It, uh, it. It has just enough unique elements that it's pretty good. And, and the truth is, the, the only part of it that it doesn't hold up to Zaya is like there's not really as much exploration as there is in Zaya, right? It's like okay. the board is like I think it's a three by three grid plus plus essentially your home port, right? And so, you know, you end up. It takes a while to sail out to the edge of the board, but but you're going to discover the whole board, and everybody's going to you know do, do have stuff you, on almost every card or on every part of the board. Go ahead. Have, have you played Merchants and Marauders? Yes. How would you compare the two? Uh, I would say Merchants and Marauders is in some ways more robust. Like you have more of an opportunity to Marauders to be. Well, I guess what I'd say is I feel like there's more distinction between being a pirate in Merchants and Marauders and being a merchant, right? Because uh-huh. you can essentially be peaceful here in Dead Reckoning, you know, like build your ship up w- with a lot of cargo and do a lot of, um, uh, I 
second what we called it we called it you know making babies because there's a there's a <laughs> there's a card ability that you you put cubes out on different islands and you know if you have majority control of that island there's point benefits at the end of the game and sometimes there are um ability benefits that come with it too right so um but but so that's sort of the merchant part of it right and to me that didn't feel as robust as what you could do in merchant Marauders. Hmm. does that make yeah. sense yeah. I feel like the combat is more robust. Like the being a pirate is definitely more well developed in this one. And again, if you like sleeving card games, this is this is a really fun implementation of that mechanic, right? I I think I would enjoy both. I I don't think I've played Merchants Marauders. If I have, I don't remember playing it. But I've oh, I've, def- okay. I've definitely wanted it. Like I've been eyeing Merchants and Marauders for ten years probably, and I don't know why I've never bought it. But I I've always wanted to play it or try it and then this came along and you know i kind of thought well maybe this is a better choice um anyway i i definitely want to play this game well we'll uh we'll try to again my brother has it so next time we have him i'll, I'll make him bring it up and see if we can't get a play in of it so so that was probably my favorite game we played the first night I, i'll give an honorable mention to another game that my brother introduced me to which the next time i walk into the discount games inc brick and mortar store if it's sitting on the shelf, I will just pick up my own copy of it. But it's called Radlands. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a post-apocalyptic, um, in some ways, Magic the Gathering is what I would call it. But to me, the funnest part of the game is at the start of the game, you get dealt six camps. So the camps are things like, you know, uh, the bomb or uh, a blood bank or uh, <laughs> a deserted arcade, right? And 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 it's all very post-apocalyptic. It, it's It's got this, like, neon art vibe to it that's really quite i mean it's it feels mad maxi right i mean like one of the cards is a cult leader that 100 percent is a riff on um well i forgot the what's the bad guy's name in mad max you mean lord humongous lord humongous yeah so there's there's a total play on lord humongous you know anyway the art the art is really feels different because it kind of has this neon feel to it still you know it's like punk neon meets post-apocalyptic um but you so you get dealt six camps and you pick three of them. And the the camps that you pick, they really set the tone for the game. It's really interesting. And so um, the, the object of the game is to eliminate your opponent's camps, right? To, to be the first one to destroy your camps. And so, you know, you're playing cards. It has that um, element where a card can be multiple things. Like basically every card um, is essentially, it has an instant effect or it has a, you know, put in play and it's a person effect or um there are some that are called events that they're almost like a if it were magic i would call them like a delayed sorcery effect you know what i mean like they take a couple turns and then they then they go off kind of thing um anyway really clever quick plan over the course of the weekend i think i probably played it five or six times with my with my brother this is just a two-player game um but you know like the greatest the greatest game of it i had was when i my initial camp picks was a uh, it was a parachute base and then an adrenaline lab and i don't remember what the other camp was because it didn't matter but the parachute base it let you put a card into play do its ability you know so essentially ignore summoning sickness and then damage the card and then the adrenaline the adrenaline lab let you do the ability of a damaged card and then destroy the card right (laughs) so it, it meant that i would have turns where i was like my board's empty at the end of the turn but i basically have gotten you know huge damage onto my brother's camps because i was able to unexpectedly parachute in and you know juice up my boys and and just murder his stuff and so you know 
And then another day or another game, I drafted the parachute lab again, but I didn't have anything that come well with it. And I got my teeth kicked in. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I, it's a clever two player card game. Really fun. The, the art's really, really neat. Um, and it feels I, I called it magic, but it feels magic esque. Yeah, yeah, it, definitely of that pedigree. Right. <laughs> Um, so that was our first, that was our first night there. And then, uh, so Friday, the con opened in earnest and, you know, briefly, uh, a word to future fathers who are taking their families set expectations before you go stand in line to get into the con and your crew doesn't show up. And so then you have to stand in line like three more times to, to get your freaking tick, your badge, you know, to be able to go in. Like, that's all. I feel like 10 o'clock is a, a reasonable amount of time to expect people to be awake. So a couple, uh, a couple highlights from Friday. One that was interesting that my, my wife kept saying she wanted to play again, but we never did. And I, I kind of felt like I was dragging my feet to play again because I was afraid it was going to be longer than it. Sh- I felt like it overstated. Its- it's a game called Creature Comforts. It's basically the cutest freaking worker placement game that you'll ever play in your life, right? Like, you're these little woodland creatures, and and the object of the game is you're literally trying to create the coziest den before winter comes, right? So it's played over eight months. Those are the rounds, and and you're it's interesting because it, it's basically like two worker placement phases. You you have this phase where everybody simultaneously sends their their workers, their animals out to different places, right? Which I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's nice that that's happening simultaneously. But then it's like, well you're still going to do it stuff in a turn. You know what I mean? Which has the effect of slowing things down going turn by turn. Cause after the creature out, you roll these dice and then you, you place the dice out with your creatures. And so basically creature, the workers that have gone out to different places, they have to have a certain dice combo to actually execute that um, location. Right. Mm-hmm. So you might send a worker out and a time or two, not actually get anything from that worker. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it is. It has some interesting elements. I, I'm not sure why my family responded well to it. If it was because of the cuteness or or what, but one that's worth mentioning. Definitely a good family worker place in the game, right? So uh, probably because of the cuteness. Um, party game of the con for us got played on Friday. Uh, it is a game called Last Message, which my oldest daughter best described as micro macro. Uh, had a baby with telestration because the hook of this game is um, you have basically three teams. You have a criminal, you have a victim, and you have the detectives, right? And the hook is that the victim has is unable to speak, but they can still draw. And so you'll you'll have a picture out in front of the detectives that it looks like a, a micro macro map, right? It's like it's a Where's Waldo thing. There's all these these figures and, and people all over this thing all mashed together and several different art styles. But I think we did, there was one that was like a Western world. One was a superhero world. One was an alien world. One was the uh, caveman world. Right. And, and then behind a screen, the victim and the criminal are s- seated together. The criminal chooses a figure and puts a little uh, magnifying circle on that figure. And that, that is the victim the detectives have to try to identify, right? Well, so then the victim player, they have, I think, 30 seconds to draw or write words on this um, three by three grid, uh, you know, dry erase board. They, they draw stuff. Once the timer's over, 
the criminal then gets to erase a number of uh, squares from their drawing, right? So the first round, they get to erase five things. The second round, they get to erase four, then three, then two. And so in those four rounds, the detectives, you know, basically get four chances to try to identify who is, you know, who is the victim out here in the picture. So like, it was hilarious because the first time we played it, my wife was the one drawing. She was the victim, right? <laughs> so she gets done drawing. The criminal, which was my um, son, he erases the five squares that he's allowed. They hand us the picture. There's nothing on it because she hadn't, <laughs> she hadn't drawn big enough, right? And so he was able to erase her entire picture. And so <laughs> anyway, it sets up this hilarious dynamic where like, you know, uh, one of the games, we, we I think we played it four times over the course of the con. One, one, of, the, one of the times like, uh, my brother was the victim. He'd drawn this picture and he had some words. And, and then the criminal, you know, erased squares so that it left just enough of the word that we're like, uh, I wonder what that said. Did that say like, you know, uh, sitting, hitting, you know, <laughs> because all all they had left is like the T-I-N-G or whatever because of the way he had drawn it out. Anyway, it's pretty clever. A lot of fun. You know, it's a quick play party game, but um, I'm into micro macro. And so this was a this was a fun one that we found. Um, we spent quite a bit of time playing the Spiel des Jahres games this, that Friday. And I mentioned it, um, in the, um, pre-ramble, but, uh, for me, I think, well, okay. So the, the Spiel des Jahres that should win is Cascadia, which is, you know, the evolved, improved, um, version of Carcassonne, right? Cascadia is you're drafting out of a river, essentially a, um, habitat tile and then an animal disc and then you put that tile out and put the disc out and the animal discs you know the game has quite a lot of variability because the animal discs all have different ways in which they're going to score so for example um, in the game we were playing like hawks every solitary hawk that you had meaning every hawk that was out on the board with no other hawk adjacent to it was going to be worth points and and it's one of those climbing scales so by the time the game ended i had eight solitary hawks on my board and that was like 25 points right and then like the bears it was like you had to have a mated pair so for every two bears that you had together that didn't have any other bear around them they were worth points but then like the salmon you got points for having a longer and longer run of them and so it was really clever like the scoring and and you know i mean i i'm a sucker for essentially drafting you know like this is like through the ages only really simple you know you you pull up a tile you pull up a, a disc and then a new one new ones come in their place right and you just you play until the tiles are exhausted the scoring has that sort of wingspan scoring feel you know where there's like okay look at this you know biggest biggest forest habitat okay look at this how do your animals score and you know there's quite a few ways to score and anyway so that's of the Jari's nominees in my opinion that's that should totally win like it, it stands head and shoulders above the other nominees like I look at the nominees and I'm like, I'm surprised by some of them, you know. What, what um, was the name of that one? That one's called Cascadia. So really good. Um, we did. We played another one that was, I think they call it a recommended game. So to me, that's like an honorable mention. But the new Seven Wonders Architects is is way better than I expected it to be. Like, um, it, it's like playing Seven Wonders, but very accelerated. Like, there feels like there's very little downtime. And it has kind of that toy element every civilization has a little wonder that they're literally building you know like i was i was roads and so i'm building the colossus that's one of the ways you score points in a game you know anyway uh, i was impressed because i was like geez another seven wonders game like this feels this feels like overkill right but 
Seven Wonders Architects is, is very well done and, and very good for, again, for families. You know? So like, if you asked me what's one thing you need to do to improve Seven Wonders, I wouldn't say you needed to accelerate it. <laughs> you don't feel like there's downtime in like, well, maybe I should say it this way. I mean, we played it with seven players. Like if you play a seven player game of Seven Wonders classic, I mean, don't you feel like there ends up being some downtime? No. Because okay. in seven, I guess it depends on who you're playing with. But seven wonders, yeah, it, to me, it, to me, it doesn't matter who, how many players you have, because it's all simultaneous play. Um, if you have one person at the table who's you know, analysis paralysis central, then yes, it becomes a problem. But I've played games of, you know, three player seven wonders that took just as long as games of seven player seven wonders because because of who was playing. You know, yeah. just. It can be a very quick game, or it can be a pain in the butt if there's that one person at the table that just doesn't play their card. But yeah, well, I, I mean, and again, I would say, you know, maybe part of it is again, I, I'm at this con with my family, right? And I'm, and to me, I was like, oh, this is a really, this is a better version of Seven Wonders for a family, right? Because I got a nine year old on one end of the table, and I got a middle aged woman. I won't say my wife's age, but you know, on the other side of the table, and they were both able to grok it super easy you know what i mean yeah so but but it is it's just it's a more simplified accelerated seven wonders so uh is go ahead Dick. is my dislike of seven wonders how how does that rank in my hierarchy of board game sins josh oh i don't know i don't <laughs> like I, just, I don't understand why people think it's so amazing but how, how many times have you played it jay Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's been a long time since I've had, uh, but probably like five or six times. Okay. What, what what don't you like about it? I wouldn't say I don't like it per se. It's just I don't. You just under- don't understand the level of rapture that it seems to gain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's. Uh, I think in for a lot of people, it's sort of like their first introduction to like drafting, and uh, yeah, you know. Drafting leaves a really good taste in some people's mouths, mine included. Yeah, I I am a big fan of drafting games. Um, I I really do enjoy Seven Wonders a lot, um, and I I like the drafting element of it. Uh, so real quickly, let me talk about. So that's the Spiel des Jahres when I'm talking about Cascadia. So then the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, which I think everybody is should get, which is the kids game, right? Uh, is the Quacks and Co. of Quedlinburg. Um, and it is, uh, it's a racing game. So you're kids racing animals into the town of Quedlinburg, right? And it's a bag builder. So like you're pulling um, vegetables out of your bag and the vegetable has an effect on, they have different effects, but they're kind of what make your animal move forward steps on the racetrack, right? And then um you have a thing called, they call it a dream weed. When you draw three dream weeds over the course of your turns, um, you, you'll you stop real quickly and you have an opportunity to buy more vegetables for your bag, right? And so so it has that bag building element from that's similar to Quacks of Quedlinburg, but it is like super fast. I mean, like, don't blink or you'll miss your turn kind of thing because it just moves. It just moves really well and it, it gives you that feeling, you know, if you enjoy Quaxall, it gives you that feeling of building a bag. My wife loved it, again, because she was taught by a super nice German dude, but also because <laughs> she's like, her, her assessment was, this is a game that our nine-year-old could easily understand and teach to his friends, and they would, you know, they could play without kind of adults hanging over them. And I kind of agree with that assessment, right? So so that that was, I, I hope that's the Kenner spiel this year is, the kids. 
or the Kinderspiel of Charities, the kids one, because that I was most impressed with that one. Um, how am I doing on time? How many? <laughs> uh we are at you have about 11 minutes left okay okay that's good so i'm, I'm just warming up but um also my 14 year destroyed us at the quacks and co every time she's the best racer i hate her so much um <laughs> so i'm going to talk real quickly about so so game. i I'm, I'm going to accuse her for just a second yeah she's she's the one for, i i apologize but she's the one person in your family that i don't necessarily trust when it comes to board games so I'm wondering if she was reaching in the bag and feeling them and she could feel the oh, difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is something she or her mother would do for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, funny. Uh, okay. So the next morning I got my surprise of the show, which is I, I came downstairs. I actually came down later that morning um, and my oldest daughter and my nine-year-old, he had picked out a game. So, I'm instantly on guard against this game, right? <laughs> now I'm going to tell you the title of the game, and you'll, you'll understand why I was even more on guard. But it was by Ravensburger, so I'm like, okay, maybe there's a chance, right? So this game is called Minecraft Biomes and Builders. Look, I can say this behind the paywall or outside of the paywall. I hate Minecraft. I despise it. I, I hate, I, I think I just hate how successful it's been in some ways, right? And it's just like, ah, the lo-fi graphics, and, but but anyway, so I'm like completely like, oh, really? This is what we're playing? But it was one of those moments where my oldest daughter was like, oh, you know, he wanted to try it. We, we thought we'd try it. Well, I'm here to tell you, it, it was actually a decent game. Like, it's a good Minecraft game. My, my son has a Minecraft card game, which I hopefully will fall into a fire later. And I would happily because this game has <laughs> this clever element. You build up this um, cube of cubes, right? And... Uh, I, I guess I would call this like a simple adventure game, right? Because you're moving your figures around a board and you're fighting mobs or you're building buildings, right? And I think there's like four different actions you can take, which is like moving and exploring, attacking, mining, or building, right? And the mining, like you grab cubes out of this bigger cube. And like you can only grab cubes that have three of their sides visible, you know, top, top and two sides. Anyway, it was it was way more fun than it had a right to be. Like it was well done. There's like three scoring phases. The scoring phases happen. There's the cube has four layers of cubes, and so every time a layer of cubes uh, gets mined away, then there's a scoring phase three times, and and so you're scoring for different things. Like the first time you're scoring for like terrains that you've explored, and the next time you're you're exploring for like I think it's like building types that you've built, and anyway. I was impressed, and it, and that that was I was impressed after setting really low expectations, right? So, uh, mm. so that that that's fun. If you got a kid that's you know just a total Minecraft junkie, and you want to get him doing board games, like Minecraft Bios and Builders could do it for you. I'm I'm wondering if my oldest boy would actually want to play this because he's like you know, way into Minecraft normally. He was. He's not now. He's moved on to other games. Um, oh, okay. But but. But he definitely has, you know, creeper socks, and um, he was he was entranced by by Minecraft for quite a while. And it's not that he doesn't enjoy Minecraft; it's just that you know he's a fourteen year old boy. He's moved on to yeah. He's moved on to Apex Legends, is what he's moved on to, um, and Roblox. But um, you know, I'm I'm certain that. Um, if I could get something to the table that he already has interest in or familiarity with, it has a much higher 
chance of success right than j- just saying hey come play this new board game at the table and oh, so which the only remi- caution well go ahead i was just gonna say which reminds me i just i my family and i are playing a brand new board game that i forgot to mention to you guys but anyway uh which is? Snipe, sniper elite it, oh please. yeah yeah you the kickstarter fairy brought it I, I remember you said that yeah we've probably played seven or eight games of it now oh wow and that's the hidden movement right yeah it, it reminds me a lot of um of uh, letters from Whitechapel. Interesting. Except except for if you get cornered in this game, you have the ability to fight back. So okay. I actually okay. I actually so far I'm I mean I played a lot more games of Letters from Whitechapel than I have Sniper Elite, but I feel like I think I like uh, I think I like um, Sniper Elite better. Mm, cool. So um, it's it's pretty challenging as the sniper, much like it is challenging being Jack in Letters from Whitechapel. If you're playing against people who um, are competent, are good competent, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know. So um, I, I've, I, I've not been able to win as the sniper thus far. So interesting. Uh, I will do two quick final mentions. Um, Restoration Games, uh, man, those guys knock stuff out of the park. We played one of their games called Downforce which is a uh, Formula One racing game, right? It feels like a more streamlined Camelot because it has this element of, you know, at certain points in the game, you're betting which car is going to win, right? And then depending on how the race actually finishes, you know, you get paid out for that. The other element that it has is at the start of the game, everybody buys a car. There's an auction phase where you're buying a car, right? And so depending on how your car does, there's also a payout for it, right? Um, so that, and in the auction, you're buying a car and a power, right? A special power. Anyway, super well done. I mean, it plays six players, plays them great because it just, it, it moves quick. Um, and, you know, and Camelot is a fun game, but we, we talked about it as a family. We we're like, man, this feels like it replaces Camelot because Camelot ends up feeling a little more complicated because in Camelot, you're, you're betting on like all the place that you're betting, like who finishes first, second, third kind of thing. And, and so, for sure, anyway, Downforce, Downforce is a uh, um, is a reprint. It is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a Restoration Games. That's why that's why I say Restoration Games. You know, uh, it's from the '80s or whatever, and they they modernized and and I don't even know what the difference is between the old one and the new one. But but we were we we enjoyed. It. That was one thing that we struggled with. Like we had seven people at this convention, and like so many of the games that we wanted to play or that we ended up playing were four player games. You know, and and that's seven is a really hard number for the record. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, the last game I'll mention is a two-player game, which I've been dying to play, so I was super grateful to have the Board Game Geek library and, and have it there in the library, but it's called uh, Blitzkrieg uh, Experience World War II in 20 Minutes. It is a super good two-player game. You you have tokens behind screens, and you're playing those tokens to affect different theaters in the war, You know, either in the Pacific or Eastern Europe or Western Europe, and... Um, depending on the space that you play those things on, there are effects like, you know, you get to draw an additional token or you research new stuff, which could be like, you know, better tanks, better aircraft carriers, the nuclear bomb, you know, that kind of stuff. It, anyway, it is snappy. It plays quick. It it has that, um, you know, in Twilight Struggle, it has that element of the push-pull of like, you move, you know, as the allies, you move the score this way. And then, then on the next turn, the axis comes and they, they pull, tug the score back the other way for a certain theater, you know. Uh, anyway, really good. And that same company just released one called Caesar, 
sees Rome in 20 minutes and I, uh, we didn't find it or get to play it, but I was pretty impressed. Like for a nice little two player, you know, quote unquote war game, like it, it's really, it's really good. So let's So I just have to, um, I have to give you guys an update during the pre-ramble. We talked about Mechanicus and how it was on sale. Yeah. I, I just received my email from steam telling me that the game was, uh, on on sale after I added it to my wish list. Oh, well, I good, feel like that's slower than we expected. During the pre <laughs> Uh So, do, how old do you think? I mean, this says fourteen plus on Board Game Geek. Um, how old do you think Blitzkrieg? Oh, for Blitzkrieg? Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny because the first time we played it, my oldest daughter and my nine-year-old were on a team versus myself and my brother. And then the very next day, my nine-year-old asked to play it. He wanted to play it and be on his own team. And he did He did fine. Like, it's not complicated. Like, I don't feel like, you know, the the age, what the age thing is going to make a difference in is just the, the strategic decisions that you make, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think my nine-year-old was fixated on trying to do research to hopefully pull the A-bomb so that he could nuke me, you know, but... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what my 10-year-old would want to do, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just, you know, he, my 10-year-old is a voracious board gamer, and he's always saying, let's play a board game. And my my daughter is like, she rolls her eyes, and she just doesn't, you know, she's not as excited about jumping into a board game as he is. And my wife is willing to, but, you know, it's, it's there are times when he's pushing and they're not they're not on board and i'm wondering if you know i should be trying to find two player games that are age appropriate for him to play with oh yeah yeah that would be a little quicker well you right. and he i think i think you and a ton like it's it's really good okay well I'll, I'll definitely take a closer look at it uh anyway like i said those those are just some of the highlights of the of the gaming weekend it was a great mm-hmm. getaway for me um as you can see i think as i look at the list now and as i've talked about it with you guys i'm like well I definitely played a lot lighter fare than I would have. Uh, <laughs> there was no evening of antiquity until four in the morning because Trevor <laughs> was not there with me. So, uh, well, to be fair, that was a little bit of a uh, a faux pas, I guess. We we should have given up when your brother and your father went to bed. When their cemeteries filled up. Yes. They were weak. <laughs> <laughs> they deserved to be knocked out. That's right. Right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap up there, and uh, let us know if you played any of the games that Josh has recommended, or if you have any board game recommends for us. 